Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Daryl Blackburn today. Hi, Daryl. Hey, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Not a problem. Well, we're going to talk about something that's kind of near and dear to us and hopefully also something that we both hope to avoid engaging in. Today's topic is negative productivity. It's a great topic. I think it is. Uh, For those of you that haven't listened before, when Daryl's been my co-host, Daryl's the COO of FullScale and someone that we have tasked with tracking the productivity of a whopping 169 people as of the date of today's recording. So good luck with that. Yeah. So this is definitely something near and dear to my heart and something that kind of drives my daily activity. What's your definition of productivity? So productivity is just the general output of the amount of hours that each of your employees or individuals in the organization put in. Or yourself. Or yourself. Yeah. Um, productivity can also be measured. Um, it, there are, are also things that, you know, it's not necessarily the topic of today's conversation, but, you know, productivity can also be measured by the processes, which say that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like, think that's part of going into the negative productivity and negative productivity, I think, can from from, as you kind of alluded to, spread out in more regards instead of negative, but making it, it's wasted productivity. Sure. So things that can be done more efficiently and better also translate to negative productivity. So, yeah. So with our show notes today, and I'm still getting used to the whole like show notes. I, I can't believe the level of productivity we have risen to here at the startup hustle, but you know, we, we sat down and figured out some things that are, almost always going to create negative productivity. I mean, they're going to lower the amount of output that you can create, but very, very, very possibly will also limit the productivity of those around you. And, you know, as a business owner, that's bad. It is. It's a way to stifle your growth, ensure your failure. It's a, it's bad on many frustrates people. And it's frustrating. Um, I kind of run into that. We've, use the, uh, um, you, you'll hear me say often on some days, I feel like I died a death by a thousand tiny cuts. Yep. And an example would be is, you know, with things like distraction, uh, distraction, people or situations, or even devices that create distraction are going to lower your productivity because it takes you out of your train of thought. And with that th- thousand tiny cuts, you go back to saying, technically, I have 168 or 167 employees. We'll take Matt Watson out of that list <laughs> and myself. But if each one of those people, well, we'll just make it 160 for even math here. If each one of those people did something that cost me three minutes a day, that'd be 480 minutes. That is exactly eight hours of lost time. Exactly. So the, the productivity of that math is pretty impressive, wasn't it? <laughs> Well, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Yeah, so one of the first things that we've kind of identified as a a surefire way towards negative productivity is not following a work routine. I think this is really important. One of the things that I have to keep a close eye on with 169 different people is scope creep. I think a lot of people end up 
some of the, the most problematic thing is, is people getting out of their own lane. And it's not that they're out of their own lane. It's they're in someone else's. Yeah. And then that starts to create a exponential effect on the organization where everyone is now out of their lane or has their lane blocked. That is just, it's all roadblocks towards positive productivity. So one of the things that people will say is when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I'm not a huge planner, meaning like I think that for my particular role with the business or in life, and I do a lot of different things, it would be very difficult for me to accurately plan my entire day because things come up. So at the same time, having a list of things that you want to accomplish, you, you know, I, you've known me for a decade now, Daryl, and I'm, I'm a to-do list guy. My to-do lists aren't remarkably complex. Sometimes they're jumbled, but they're a list and I can look down at it and try to figure some stuff out. You want to try to do your higher priority stuff first. Um, and then another thing too, is when you work in larger organizations or when other people depend on, all right, so we'll use software development as a, as an example, if I'm the product owner, my feedback or lack thereof may actually create negative productivity for a whole team of people that are either not able to move forward with the project or they're now guessing. And, you know, it's that, that's like not, that's maybe being in my lane, but being parked in that lane. Right. That's a, it's back to one of the things that are near and dear to my heart that uh, it's always a challenge to wrangle up is communication. So communication is the key to being productive. It is also a key to being having negative productivity with over communication. So it's a fine line and it's one of the most important things you can do to have the positive productivity and everything maximized. And and that communication can come when I talk about death by uh, my death by a thousand tiny cuts. It's, uh, you know, here's an example is, and you, oh man, I can't imagine how many times you've heard me say this to people at this point, but don't ask me every time you have a question, you know, make a list. Let me answer, let me answer the questions in five or six at a time and go bang, 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 bang down the list. Cause every time you stop and ask someone a question, and that's another thing too, is, is with a lot of modern communication, Slack, text messaging, messenger, all these different things that shoot notifications at you too. Sometimes I'm, I've turned a lot of them, almost all of them off on my laptop. Because, it's an attention grabber every time. Yeah. Cause it pops across. up in the upper right hand corner. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm distracted. So, uh, I think another final point with trying to stay in a good work routine, and I mentioned earlier, I'd have a hard time scheduling my entire day. Uh, one of the things my friend Joel Cummins, who's um, my soon-to-be co-author of my third book and a, and a musician by trade, is leaving some space in your schedule. So not just booking things wall-to-wall, because things often take longer or they get delayed. And the problem is if you don't leave buffers in there, then you now have everything's behind schedule that creates stress. Now you gotta maybe eliminate things. It just throws everything off. So, and that's something that I've been dealing with a lot lately because the inquiry for people wanting services at full scale is just through the roof. And then I end up with meetings all day and I'm like actually going to go through and in my online booking, I'm going to put buffers and all my meeting stuff. So I have 15 minutes. I, I absolutely have 15 minutes after any meeting 
to either allow it to flow over or to maybe keep up. So I end up going home and then I'm I, now I've got three hours worth of emails, but I want to hang out with my wife, my kids, maybe go outside, you know, the simple things. Yeah. And then I'm, and now, now I'm three more hours worth of emails. It's amazing how many emails I just deleted. Just well, trying to clean that. It's up. also back to that. As soon as, if you jam pack your schedule like that, then your next meeting is guaranteed to start late, which means everyone else involved in that meeting is it's now late. starting their meeting late. So it's back to that spider webbing and spreading and the ripple effect. Uh, it's, it's a nasty thing to try to avoid. So I yeah, agree. that's a great tip. I agree. Kind of like when we try to record this podcast multiple times in a day and it doesn't happen because something else is going. All right. Next, you're trying to be a perfectionist. Um, when it comes to time management, some of the best advice I ever received is don't take things that aren't important and then do them really well. True. Yeah. And, a, you know, perfectionist, the, this can come in a number of different ways. Like there's things that need to have a pretty result and then there's things that just need to have a result. Right. Do you agree? Exactly. Like in my communication to you, I don't care if you send me an email. I don't care how pretty it looks. But I'm not really going to care if it, I, I, that doesn't mean anything to me. But the, the correspondence you may have with a client or a vendor or someone else is a different story. That's something to take a little more time with. But, you know, perfectionists create a lack of efficiency. And it's, you know, while they might be trying to speed up a particular task at the same time, you know, they're, they're, just slowing other people down. Like my example from before was, was very adequate in the regards. Like I was sitting there waiting to get feedback to a programming team and I'm, I'm mulling over whether or not a button should be red or green or maybe yellow or what, what, what if it was orange? Like I'm just wasting time, even right. including my own. So, you know, perfectionists often miss deadlines as well. That's something that, you know, isn't good. And, you know, you plan a lot of stuff. Where do you, how does that affect things? So I think one, and I think you'll hear this buzzword come up again throughout this podcast, but value added activity. So I think it's very important to put a common sense filter over a lot of this stuff and spend 80% of your time on things that are directly related to adding value to whatever you're trying to accomplish, whatever that end goal of the business is. You should always be spending the majority of your time on those value added activities, not trying to be a perfectionist on that 20%. When I hired you 10 years ago, I still say you gave the greatest answer that anyone's ever given me in an interview. And I used to I asked people, I said, well, when you're at work, what would you prefer to be doing? And most people say things that are like, well, I really like doing graphic design or I really like organizing things or I really like selling things. You said, whatever makes us the most money. Yep. It's a good priority to have if you're running a business. Um, and that is another thing, too is focus on the tasks that are of the highest priority. So, all right, I'm going to take the next one as well, because this is, this is one of my favorites. You may be creating negative productivity if you are not a fan of automating processes or maybe even deleting processes. True. I think we, uh, we had a previous business that we ran that was our obsession. It still is for me. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes one of the most, one of the greatest things you can do with process improvement is literally just not even doing it at all. Right. So, 
Um, there's a lot of stuff out there that can help you automate things. We even own a, and founded a platform together, Gigabook, that does online appointment setting. And you talk about automation and creating higher levels of productivity. Like Gigabook helps people take appointments for services, groups, or resources, meaning things. And it does it all online. So, And there's a lot of things that do stuff similar. You see a, a schedule and appointment link in someone's email. And that's because you can go there, pick a time they're available that works for you. You click it, boom, they get notified. It's on the schedule. It avoids the whole, hey, when are you available? I don't know. When are you available? Or, and then also missed opportunities. So that's a, a really simple and common form of automation. Other things are like report generation, um, things like, well, we do that with our time clock with all of our employees because it spits out a report. Yes, is that, is that good? Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I can't tell you how many times that fifty or a hundred dollars a month or whatever that number might be, x amount of dollars on a software platform or something that can automate a process became our most productive employee. Yeah, you can't replicate a real person for that amount of money, and they're often the most singular productive thing that you could possibly do. So when we owned our, our ticket business, this was probably, st- without a doubt, was still the prime example of automation. And here's the thing is a lot of these tasks that, you, that you're trying to automate, aren't the, they're all redundant bullshit anyway that no one wants to do. Right. So with the ticket company, we always had an issue with like retrieving tickets. So like the Detroit Pistons would issue their season tickets and we would want to make those all into e-tickets. And then we have like 200 tickets per game. And then there's 40 games. Next thing you know, you have 8,200 files and you talk, and we had a service that would help us do that. We didn't even care how they did it. We, they automated it, but we did, I wouldn't have cared if there was people doing it just so we didn't have to do it. Right. And that same service also did things like attaching those tickets in our point of sale and just doing a whole lot of stuff. And it really just revolutionized the way that that business operated. It enabled us to grow faster. It, and really what it did is it just, you know, well, we saved a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Do you remember at one point I was like, man, if this service goes away, I might quit. Oh, yeah. I guess if we have to... Understandably. Yeah. If we, and it was my wife that did most of that stuff, but that would have had a trickle. That would have created negative productivity in my life because, well, hey, she never would have been available. Or, you know, prior to that, too, we even had people that were our first uh, employees in the Philippines that did a lot of that stuff like a virtual assistant. That's another thing. If you can't uh, if you can't automate processes, you know sometimes things like a virtual assistant or different things that you know they might not truly be automated, but they might be more efficient. So, okay, you want to you want to r- roll next because uh, yeah. So this is one that I'm actively trying to kill every day on behalf of you. And I know that's, that's why I want you to take it. Always being available to other people. So I am actively trying to build a wall around you because we, as we talked about the death by a thousand tiny little cuts is a very real problem when you start to get a bunch of employees. And we've tried to create an open culture where our employees are free to reach out and speak their mind. And we encourage that communication. It just has to follow an escalation path. So it's always being available for others means you're never available for what you should be doing. Yeah. And one of the, and one of the issues is just certain it's, it's a lot of that's about, are you even asking the right person? So one of the, the common things 
So early on in FullScale, I, I did a lot of the recruiting and hiring myself, which meant that along the way, I developed a bit of a relationship with the people that we had hired. But I wasn't their local manager. And I also wasn't their client. So they would want to say, they would, you know, we had the biggest thing we had in the beginning was they would ask me and say, hey, can I go to lunch? And you are 8,000 miles away. Right. You can technically do about whatever you want, <laughs> but you're not necessarily asking the right person. But yeah, the really the the trickle down of that negative productivity occurs with the fact that you know as the, our business grew really fast at full scale, and I and we're trying to change this as well. But so much of the business development and the sales relied on me. So as these th- tiny cuts were forming all over me and I was slowly dying with them at certain times. So were our sales. Yep. And that is, is, you know, sales cures sales and that's what we're trying to do. So that had, you know, those are the kind of things, uh, you know, oftentimes too, just, it, you know, shut your door of your office for a little bit, or sometimes I go home and work and I do it at times when I know that, one of my kids is at school and the other one's taking a nap. Yeah. I'm, so I, I'm the way that I do it is I'm very strategic around how quickly I respond to certain people. Yeah. One of the things that you have to be careful of is creating very lazy employees because they know that they can only reach out to you to get the answer. So instead yep. of doing your work, you're now doing theirs and they're being lazy. So you're creating this culture where no one's striving to be better and learn themselves and teach themselves so it's back to you know, that, that one thing is now spiraling and it's well, this uh, huge yeah. trickle down effect. People ask you a question and it's not an inappropriate response to actually say, I don't know, did you ask Google? Right. I know that sounds like kind of a smart ass thing, but like, you know, that's back to that. Are you being negatively productive for those around you? Like, uh, Google knows so much more than anyone I know. Right. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've waited an hour to respond to somebody. And by that time, they went and found the answer on their own. Yep. Yep. And it's shocking because yep. then the questions become fewer and far farther between, yep. which is what you want. You're, you have a self-sufficient employee now. And I think another, another, you know, to your point there, another thing to consider is, you know, if you're going to ask someone a question, like ask yourself that. Say, can I answer this without this person? Right. And I think sometimes in people, you know, it's hard because you want to, you want to facilitate a, uh, a culture of teamwork and communication. But like you said earlier, there can be too much of that too. Right. And that's what a lot of people say is, you know, kind of cut down on the meetings, like the number of meetings that you have, like, sort of thing. If you have 18 meetings a week with your team, well, when are you getting any, anything else done? Yeah, your job is being in meetings. Yeah, it's yeah. important to plan, but you know, like, I mean, that's the thing. I tell our clients at full scale, I say, well, are they going to, is our team going to work at the same time we do? Yes. But if you, if that, if you want that, because you want to talk to them all day, you should keep in mind that if they're talking to you, they're not building what you need to have built. While we touch on this, I just have a pet peeve that's a little bit off topic, but kind of related to what you said about meetings. Lay if you're going to schedule a meeting, please make it a working meeting. Do not have a meeting to schedule further meetings to actually mm. do the project. I like that. That drives me A crazy. meeting to schedule more meetings? You would be shocked at how often I see that. Wow. I like that. All right. Well, this next one is pretty high up on my list. You may... 
Be negatively productive if you do not delegate work to others or you delegate it incorrectly. All right. There's some formula here. Your time has value. Whether you're an employer or an employee. So let's just use a realistic example. Daryl, you make $1,000 an hour, which might be a little high. I need to talk to you about a pay raise. Yes. So all right, we're going to use 100 because 100 is a good number. So if you put, you have to put a value on your own time as an entrepreneur to really get your arms around this. We're just going to use the arbitrary number of 100. So if your time is worth $100 an hour and you can have someone else do the same task for less, you are saving money. Correct. You are saving money there and you are also picking up value of your own time. So you can do something else in that regard. So rather, regardless of what number you put on the value of your own time. Now, if you're an employee, now let's say you make $25 an hour and you're the employer looking at that. If you have someone also doing a $25, you're paying someone $25 an hour to do something, you could pay someone else $10 an hour to do it. Well, you're now delegating incorrectly right. as well. So, you know, there are high, medium, and low values of things, whether you want to put it on a scale of 1 to 10 or whatever. But uh, you and I went to the same school when I actually went to school. And one of the things that they beat into our heads there that I really found to be the most important was opportunity cost. Right. So when you choose to do one thing, you're choosing to not do another thing. And both of those things have values. So opportunity cost is the value of the foregone option. And you can create a lot of a lot of liability in and around your business. Like for example, right now I'm I'm recording this podcast. I could possibly be doing something else. And whatever the value is, my opportunity cost. It's not necessarily that there's always a right or wrong answer, but you know that's where delegation comes into a lot of things. And um, you know another thing I've learned is that. Sometimes delegating little simple one-offs, though, like a five-minute things, you, I actually will oftentimes. Am I going to spend ten minutes explaining to you know trying to get the someone directions to, to get someone to do it? Yeah. Yes. So that's what I was going to kind of mention is that it's not only who can do it cheaper, but you also have to factor in the time factor of. Can, yes, they can do it cheaper, but is it going to take them 10 times as long? To, do I make 10 times as much of them? So you kind of do need to do the full analysis there to, from project start to finish. Overall, with the amount of time considered and the amount of money involved with both parties here, is it going to be an overall savings to offload that activity to someone else? And the best things to delegate, well, A, are things that don't require a lot of explanation. You can permanently delegate things, which is smart, and that's just giving people ownership of that particular task. Um, it, and, you know, being aggressive about delegation and trying to, you know, find that in and around, we, you know, we did a, a whole episode on, do I need an assistant? And, and for me, the answer is almost always yes. Um, you know, what should you be doing at your business compared to what, you, what are you actually doing right. at your business? And, I, and that is, oh man. I'm kind of like feeling sick to my stomach just thinking about it myself. I'm like, I'm like that is a, a terrifying answer. Well, I think it's back to you need to realize where your strengths lie and creating value for your organization. And is that what the majority of your time is spent doing right now? If not, you need to take a step back and look at your situation. 
So I need to change. I, I need to spend more time and effort on looking good. Yeah, is that, <laughs> is that's how we're adding value to full scale. Sure. Says the guy with the face made for radio. <laughs> I always like to say that. Um, okay. Well, how do you feel about sharpening your skills? So I kind of started to touch on this when I referenced creating lazy employees. Mm-hmm. Sharpening your skills is one of the single most important things to creating a great culture for success. Okay. If we're not improving, you're getting we're worse. falling behind. Yeah. Or you're falling behind because you, your true competitors are actually getting better. Yes. Um, some certain things that you can work on, certain skills that and tools that are worth sharpening and maintaining, or perhaps even adding to the toolbox or things like communication, time management, the way you do research or analyze things, perhaps creative processes and your own leadership. Now I look back at my own career and back many moons ago when I was a young professional and I thought, Oh man, uh, being a top salesperson is my, the way that I'm going to make a lot of money. And I did all right doing that. But when I really started to work on my leadership skills, I became really valuable because I could lead other salespeople into the same or similar results. The leadership's tough. I've answered a lot of questions over the years about leadership. And especially when it comes to motivating people, people are like, how do you, how do I motivate my staff? And you don't. They're determining whether you can you can it, you can give a short term uh, uh, antidote to motivate people like some well Bobby Knight we're talking about Bobby Knight the other day like the former IU coach who's known for throwing a chair across the floor um, Bobby Knight had a basketball camp that was did you ever go to it I did okay so Bobby did they do the thing where they yell oh yeah where they yell at the kid running the the suicide drills yeah. and then when they don't and the kid that was getting yelled at ran faster yes that's that short term antidote like that's short term motivation but that's not going to last forever eventually that wears off so leadership is about doing the things that help make the people around you better um, things that put people in motion like a lot of for me i consider myself to be a catalyst um and that's not always great um, but most of the time i would i would almost always pick someone with an abundance of energy over someone with none at all can work with energy. It's easier to pull someone back than to get someone to get started. Well, and your pull reference is another thing too. Is is uh, you know talk about sharpening skills and uh, you know communication and your ability to understand the personality type that you have and the person you're dealing with. So I'm uh, to make it a simple type A to type B comparison. I'm a type A person. I'm an extrovert. I'm outward. I have to take a different approach with the type B person than I do with the type A. So that's understanding these things is, and people that are more introverted are usually more analytical. They're going to want more facts. I don't want the facts, man. Get to right the bottom line. Tell me, tell me what, what, what's in it for me or what's, and that sounded selfish because maybe that was a little bit, but just tell me, I don't want to hear about the whole process and, and all that. Just give me the results. And if I want to then ask questions, that's fine. Because that communication, if you're an introverted person and your boss or someone else that you're working around is not, just get right to the point. They can handle that. And that reduces the amount of time the communication takes place, stuff like that. I mean, time management's obviously huge, a big one. We've talked about that a lot. Yeah. Um, and communication. Yeah. 
What about research and analysis? You have more of a history with that than I do. So from my standpoint, I, I think you could take it a couple of different ways. The way that I will take this is I'm always researching better ways to do what we're currently doing. Yeah. Because that's directly related to my role. Well, you're really good at it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the way yeah. that I can affect our bottom line and way I can get us to that finish line. So I'm always researching better ways to do certain things and new methods of project management and analysis of your business and new trends to watch, making sure that our KPIs are constantly being updated with the things that actually affect our business. One of the things that I hate and drives me nuts is people that have KPIs. Like, well, what do you do off that? Does that create yeah. any sort of action items or anything actionable? Wait, just, having KPI? just having KPIs is exactly. effective. Just tracking things for the yeah. sake of tracking things. So it's, it's constantly looking for better ways. That's to negatively productive. Analyze those are processes research. that don't need to exist. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. For real. And then some other things too. Well, I'll give it, and and this is of of for future podcasts. This may be the last nice thing I ever say about you. So <laughs> to, so savor it. But you know, part of why you have your job is you're good at a lot of the things that I'm not, and then even more so good at a lot of the things that I really don't want to do. Right. And you and I will have very brief. Well, how many things do you just not even tell me about? Because, you know, I don't really care. I just say, is it most? Is it good? Tell me. Tell me when it's not. Tell me when we have a problem and deal with all the other crap until then. And I'll be busy doing this or something else. Once I'll be busy recording podcasts if you need me. Um, You know, one thing that's on here, and I think this is a tough one. You talk about sharpening your skills. So creativity. This is really hard. Um, creativity is a weird, a weird thing. Uh, you can be creative on some levels, but it's hard to schedule it. It's hard to just say, hey, I'm going to be creative between one and two. Now, you can, with, with being creative, that can, one thing you can implement a lot is trying to be creative with just solutions in general. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I think creative often leads people to think of art and graphic design and the creative arts. I don't think that's necessarily just exactly where we have to go here. Yeah I, yeah. I am not creative at all in that way. It drives me nuts because there's no actual answer to it. Mm-hmm. It's all ambiguous and that kills me for being a very analytical person, but I am creative and looking for new solutions to old problems. Yeah. Always looking for new solutions to problems I don't even know exist yet. So it's always keeping that creative mindset. Is there something I can tweak here or there that's a different solution to what I'm currently doing? That's my form of creativity. I was having this conversation last month when I was in Detroit with a guy that's a world-class guitarist and we were talking about creativity and and how you, you know, because I'm trying to figure out like with certain things, can you just turn it on? Are there other people that do just turn it on? Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get into that part, but during this conversation, he said, you can't be afraid to break things. So you're forced to put them back together. Yep. <laughs> like that, and, and that was, you know, I was like, oh, wow. You know, and I've heard things like that before, but that was just a reminder that, you know, sometimes things do need to be reassembled. I often compare uh, uh, building a business from scratch as, um, you know, building uh, a castle with five different sets of Legos. You know, sometimes you do have to take them apart and put them back together to actually make it look like an actual castle. Well, and I think it goes even further than that because if you are building a business, you're going to fail a hundred times mm-hmm. before you find the success. It mm-hmm. is. Failure is very much a part of success. It's just about how you rebound and how you analyze that failure and improve upon it. 
Yeah, Thomas Edison, after failing 2,000 times on something, said, well, I haven't failed. I've just found 2,000 ways. I've, succe- I've successfully found 2,000 ways that don't work. Right. And that's the way you got to look at it. And, you know, entrepreneurs come in many flavors. Um, I'm one of those people that well, I like to try a bunch of stuff. And I usually have a lot of different things going, many of which are certain to be abandoned. But you're trying to figure out, you know, test, test, test. I say that a lot about marketing. I'm like, let's try a few things. Let's let's see what's out there and not just go all in on one thing. And okay, that didn't work. Now that can also be tough to sometimes measure what's actually working. So you don't want to try like 60 things, but yeah. And that's why everything we're talking about here today is so important because if you are going to test and you, you know, you have so many different directions, your business can go and you can't afford to waste time or have yeah. negative productivity. Your time value is so important. And it needs to be maximized for you to be as efficient as possible. That's where that uh, buzz phrase fail fast came from. Um, You know, try to figure out as quickly as you can the things that don't work to narrow down. It's that same mentality of trying 10 things and hoping, well, you're hoping that one works. Um, You know, so as we kind of get to the end of this episode, I think that the last thing on here is paramount. Whether it's it's regarding negative productivity or anything at all, you are likely negatively productive if you do not learn from your mistakes. Agreed. Man, I make so many mistakes. You hear that again. I want to say that again. I make a ton of mistakes, don't you? If, If you told me you didn't, I would tell you that you're not doing anything all day. Yeah, right. I mean, like constantly. And the key is to learn from it. You know, like what made me make this mistake? You know, what was I trying to achieve that I didn't? What did I learn? Am I even chasing an opportunity here? I think that's fair. Like we get back to like things that you shouldn't have even been doing at all. Like is the outcome of what I tried to achieve, is it even worth it? it? Was it even worth chasing? And, you know, like, how do I try it again? Right. You know, I, I, I think that anytime I hire someone, one of the first things I'll tell them when they start is just to get it out of the way. And I hope I suggest you do this with people too. say, Hey, I expect you to make mistakes. I expect you to learn from them. And I expect us to continue to make mistakes and continue to learn from them. Right. Is that fair? Yeah. How many mistakes have you made today? I'm on like 10,000. I lost count by lunch. Yeah, I don't count my mistakes either. And no. That's kind of a joke. Because right? actually, it's really not. I, I like to say, uh, can't live your life looking in the rearview mirror. No. It's, uh, it's negatively productive too. Um, well, that, I mean, that's if you ask me how many mistakes I made yesterday, I would tell you I have no idea, but I found three different solutions. Yeah, yeah. I think that's another thing too. Have a short memory. I think that's a really a really productive thing to increase your own productivity is focus on solutions and not on problems. I mean, right. the solutions make the problems go away. Sitting around and talking about the problem for well, you, you can identify it, but okay. So there's a problem. Here's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. How about we talk about what's going to fix that? And that's probably at this point like one of the oldest. The, the golden rule, don't ever bring me a problem without a solution. Yeah. So, all right. So we talked about a lot of stuff today. Um, are we going to do a draft? Let's we'll, do it. All right. You can have the first pick. My first pick, I, 
I want to steal it just because I want to be a cutthroat drafter because I know what yours is. <laughs> but I'm going to say a worker team. I think it's very easy to get off from the very start. Like you never had a chance if you don't have a game plan. Okay. So I think people, you have to be careful with it and not get too rigid. Like you said, you can't plan out every second of your day. That's going to be negatively productive. But having a game plan and an idea of where you want to end up is the key to getting everything started. That wasn't going to be my first bit. I know. Oh. Okay. I left you your first bit. <laughs> Which is going to be what? The automating process. Yes. Yes. I am just such a, a, a nerd for automation, but it makes sense. It's like the future of everything in a way that always has been. I mean, look at, you look at automating. How did the assembly line work out for Henry Ford? I'm just saying, like, those are the things, too, that create lean, scalable models. Like, don't be... We are literally in the golden age of automation. Like yesterday, Matt and I talked about AI and just all of this. And it's all uh, my robot butler, which I at first looked down and thought it said robot butter. It's like, well, how is robot butter going to change my life? But, um, but no, the automation of things is, oh man, you know, you really only need it. And it's science. It's science. How many times have you, <laughs> hey, Matt, what are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm doing science. And, you know, we used to say that all the time. It's because you just have that you want, you get it right one time and then you can move on. And, it, and like the whole, you know, there's just so many things I kind of, I, I've always wanted to do an experiment on if I could build a business, whole entire business doing nothing but daisy chaining freemium stuff together. <laughs> And I think I could. Probably. Like, I mean, there's so many things you can do. Like, and you look at uh, like Zapier, like that is literally a workflow automation platform that right. is designed to, I mean, Giga, you can integrate Gigabook into it and make it talk to a bunch of other stuff. But, you know, don't be afraid. Look, you, ne- you didn't have experience doing anything until you did. Right. And people oftentimes say, well, I'm afraid to do this. I'm afraid to do that. How did you learn how to do it? I'm not a tech person. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't either. I wasn't either, man, until I was. How badly did you want? I'm still not a programmer, but I mean, I don't really want to be. All right, next pick. Next, sharpen your skills. So I'm going to choose this one. This was almost my first pick, but I think you have to have that game plan to get started. After that, if you're always striving to be better, the the severity of your problems is always one step less. Then, you know, your, your, your floor is constantly rising. So those problems that you had at the beginning, if you're always striving to be better, are no longer your problems. Now your problems are a higher echelon of problems. It, it's less problematic. They're not as drastic to the health of the business. If you're always getting better, the health of your business is always getting better. You're working towards that ultimate end goal. Everybody along the way is getting better. You're communicating better. You are becoming a smarter, more efficient employee, uh, a manager, a leader, whatever that may be. If everyone's getting better, the organization is getting better. I just like learning new things too. I do too. I'm yeah. a sponge. Yeah. I mean, I like it. Like even like, you know, uh, I, in my book, Balance Me, I'd say that playing video games or watching TV are often the lowest value activities that you can engage in. Yeah. Um, because you're not really doing anything productive. But actually, when I watch TV, I watch shows that are about business, about business efficiency, or documentaries about stuff that teach me things. Like my wife, my wife freaking hates it. Most of my yeah. TV shows lead to a thousand different Google searches because yes. I'm the person that has to know the right answer right away. Sure, sure. And you are too. I thank you for that. So is it my choice? It is. 
I'm going with the delegation. I just think that um, I, I've really learned to appreciate that um, going forward. And like, as I've increased the value of my own time, you know, time is, there's a lot of things that you can create more of. Time is not one of them. Um, if you have a solution to that problem, please reach out immediately. Cause I'd love to know. I would make, I'd go with the 28 hour day. If I could get it, I'd take more time. In the day. Oh, sure. But yeah, I think the delegation thing's pretty big. All right. We got a couple more. What do you got? I have to go with learning from your mistakes. If you do not do that, you are just doomed to continually fail. Yeah. That's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a new result. Okay. So, and we'll have an odd number here, but I'm going to, so I'm going to make my last one kind of, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with it, always making yourself available. I think that the, yeah, I've really learned to appreciate that. You know, four, four or five years ago, I wouldn't have picked that. It would have been my last choice. I would have been like, yeah, we got an open door policy. And then, but that was because I was running a company that had 10 people at it. Right. It wasn't that bad, but as, as things scaled up literally at full scale and all of a sudden there was now hundreds of people that had, and then clients and other people. And then I had kids and then I've got a, a wife asking me questions about the kids. And when the kids come, when I come home, the kids are asking me questions that daddy, what's a hippo? Those are important questions to answer, and I like to make myself available for those. But yeah, I think that that's it. And like, I then I would leave the very last one. That's to, don't try to be a perfectionist. I just yeah. I mean, I and I think that's very important. That's something that you have to try to watch yourself on is being good at the things that don't you don't need to be good right, at. It's, right. it's just a waste. But and also slowing other people down. Exactly. So. Well, speaking of speeding up and being a perfectionist, I'm going to go uh, do something else that I'm going, I'm going to go try to delegate the rest of my work routine to someone else that will hopefully automate that process while making myself available <laughs> to my family going to a Royals game tonight. You're coming with us, right? I am. Yeah. You're Uncle Daryl. It's true. It is. It is actually true. Maybe we should just introduce you as Uncle Daryl, even, <laughs> even though you're like way younger than me. Um, at the same time, my kids do call you uncle Daryl. So yeah. And then I'm going to sharpen my skills and hopefully learn from all the mistakes that I made recording this podcast. See you next time. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of startup hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe and we'll catch you next time on startup hustle.